1: we supposed to get married?
0: I'm going to just swipe left. I just want somebody to share my life.
1: Sometimes it's those personality differences that can help you find more balance in life.
0: You can keep waiting for the fairy tale or you can get on board with the new rules of relationships. If you read my advice in the LA Times, then you know this ain't your mama's love advice. This is Dates and Mates with Damona Hoffman. Hello lovers. Welcome to another delightful episode of Dates and Mates. You know, dating happens in stages, but did you know that relationships do too? I'm not talking about the traditional path of dating, committing, and getting married. There's more to it than that. There's a whole lot more. And that's why I have family therapist Jordan Green joining me today. She will be breaking down the five stages of every relationship to help you navigate the ups and downs that will inevitably arrive. After all, no relationship is perfect. But the timing of this episode is perfect, as we are in Thanksgiving week here in the U.S., and some of you might be accelerating your relationship to the next level by blending families this holiday, or you might need to define the relationship after spending a week dodging questions from nosy family members. Either way, I think you'll love this interview, and I give thanks to you for listening to this episode. But we always kick the show off with some dating news. And the headline today is, Here's the number one thing that makes relationships successful, according to psychologists. Then later in Dear Damona, I'll tackle this practical question. I'm ready to return to dating, and Bumble seems right for me. Can you share some tips? I will share some tips, and I will kick off the show today with The Dish. These Dating dish. I know you want to know the number one thing that makes relationships successful. And luckily, psychologists have actually studied this. Not just any psychologist. I'm talking about John Gottman, the GOAT of couples therapists. He uh, wrote this article for CNBC that actually spoiler alert, is inspired by a new book that he and his wife, Dr. Julie Schwartz Gottman, wrote. It's called The Love Prescription, Seven Days to More Intimacy, Connection, and Joy. I'm going to get the book. I haven't gotten it yet, but I'm going to get the book. But they broke down a lot of the concepts in this article. So I'll give you the Notes. They have studied over 40,000 couples. And in observing these couples, they have been able to predict with 94% accuracy whether a marriage would last after just 15 minutes of observing how the couples interacted. And one of the biggest factors of determining how likely a couple would be to stay together is if they turned toward their partner instead of turning away. What does that mean? Turning toward your partner is acknowledging them and engaging with their attempt to connect. So let's say they are making eye contact with you or they give you a smile or they ask you for help or they ask for a favor or they say good morning you turn toward them and you you acknowledge it and you add on you might say like they mention they're reading an article you might say oh yeah what's it about but you know a lot of people don't do that <laughs> a lot of people either do what the gottman's call turning away or turning against. So turning away is actively ignoring or not noticing their attempt to make a connection. And even more detrimental is turning against, which is irritably or angrily shutting down their attempt to connect. Like, can't you see I'm working? I'm going to be honest with y'all because I'm not perfect. <laughs> I have done this. I've certainly done this before, like when I'm in the zone and... Um, You know, I've even done it to my kids occasionally. I try to catch myself, but nobody's perfect, right? But the couples who stayed together for at least six years among those they studied turned toward each other 86% of the time. But those who got divorced only did it 33% of the time. So it's a little shortcut that you can use. And honestly, it's just good communication. Like I I talk often about the four pillars of long-term compatibility, and one of them is in communication. And so this might not even be your natural style. You might not have had it demonstrated for you in your family of origin, but you can practice it. This is what I love about doing this show and about guiding people on dating and relationships is that all of these skills for human connection we think should be innate. We think that we should just know how to do it, but we don't. We have to practice them, and we have to keep practicing them to make it the default so that when you're in the zone and your partner comes in and interrupts you, your instinct is not just to be like, what do you want, I'm working, go away. Your instinct becomes the thing that you have practiced. A couple of tips that they offer in this article Do a 10-minute check-in and ask them, is there anything you need from me today? I do this with my husband all the time. And this gives your partner a chance to reflect, to really ask what they need. Because sometimes you can get into the hustle and bustle of life and you start to just ignore your own needs. Like, are you one of those people that forgets to eat lunch? I am not. Never have been. I don't think I have ever forgotten to eat lunch. Maybe once. But maybe you're one of those people who forgets to take care of their basic needs when you are giving so much to others or when you're in the thick of working through a project or something like that. So make it a point to do a 10-minute check-in with your partner or even, you know, if you're in a new relationship, the person that you're dating. Another practice of turning toward is to what they call pick up pennies. Think of every potential moment of connection or engagement as something of value. So it's not just like, ah, whatever, it doesn't even matter. Like that's just, that was just one moment. It's just one, one thing. It's, it's a penny. Those 86% of turning towards each of those were pennies. Each of those were moments that people made a choice they were either going to turn toward, turn away, or turn against from their partner. It's funny that they make the penny analogy because I also use a penny analogy with messages on dating apps. I say it's a coin in a fountain. (laughs) So you toss a coin in a fountain, you make a wish, and if it comes true, it's great. But if it doesn't come true, it was only a penny. But it's interesting that in the relationship, the penny is weighted differently than in the bid for connection on dating apps. So I just wanted to clarify that because anyone that's like, but I thought it was just a penny. It is just a penny when you haven't built a rapport, a connection, a trust, and a foundation with somebody. But each penny matters once you are both committed to the relationship. And the third practice of turning toward is to not give up. Your emotional availability won't always align neatly with your partner's emotional availability, says Dr. Gottman, and that's okay. Your partner may make a bid to connect and you can't engage and just explain to them why you can't be available in that moment. Or you might make a bid and they don't respond, but you just keep trying. If it's a pattern, you can point it out, not in a way like, you did this and made me feel that way. More like, you may not even realize, but this, I'm noticing this and this is how it's making me feel. And then pause. You know, I love the pause. Pause, listen, see what they have to say because they may not even be aware of it. But sometimes a bit is even made with negativity. Like they're trying to pick a fight. Like, it wouldn't occur to you to make dinner for once, would it? So try to put the negativity aside according to the Gottmans, and then respond to the deeper hidden bit. When I hear that as a dating and relationship coach, I hear, I feel like I am doing too much. I feel overwhelmed. I don't feel taken care of. I would like more support. But sometimes we get so deep down in our own experience of things that we forget how they might sound to our partners. So this is gold, y'all. This is gold. Turning toward, not turning away or turning against. This literally can solve almost all relationship, not almost all, but like this can solve a lot of relationship communication problems. If you're interested in diving deeper into the Gottman's work, obviously they... They have tons of articles and material online, but I actually came across a two-part interview with the Gottmans on Brene Brown's podcast, Unlocking Us, and there's so much more on this book, The Love Prescription, Seven Days to More Intimacy, Connection, and Joy. I know they have their own podcast, Small Things Often. These folks, as far as relationships, they are so wise and so they've done so much research. It's really valuable to pay attention to the findings that they've made and the suggestions that they have on how to live your best love life. But I know some of you are like, "Okay, Demona, that was that was great, but I don't even have someone to turn against or turn towards or whatever, but I know I would be a great partner." And guess what? I can help you with that for a limited time only. And I mean this, y'all. I know I've been saying it for a long time, but we are only offering the free profile starter kit for a limited time for just a couple of months more. So if you wanna get online and matching with not just anyone, but people who are more right for you, people who are going to turn towards you, who are going to be able to communicate with you clearly, people who you're going to be able to trust, if you wanna go for quality over quantity and you're not experiencing that right now, it's probably because your dating profile isn't bringing the right ones in. And you can give your profile a complete overhaul very quickly. And the best part is it's absolutely free right now. If you go to datesandmates.com and pick up that free profile starter kit. Again, that's datesandmates.com. Scroll down and look for the button that says profile starter kit. Tell me more and I will tell you more about how to get it. And it's absolutely free. When we come back, family therapist Jordan Green will be here to break down the developmental stages of any relationship. We will keep the gratitude flowing and the information coming your way right after this. Research shows that sex is as mental as it is physical, and sometimes you need to hear something that speaks to you emotionally and mentally before you can be in the mood. If you dog-eared that one sexy chapter in a romance novel, I mean, I will admit, I do get into a little... Ellen Hinderbrand Beach Romance vibe from time to time, then Dipsy can help you get there in a new way. With Dipsy, you can skip straight to the good parts. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of sexy short audio stories designed by women for women. They are radically inclusive, and they have stories for straight and queer listeners, which you know is important to me, and 56% of the stories are voice acted by people of color. What they do is they build out these captivating storylines with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, so you can find stories about, you know, that beach romance that I was mentioning, or and being uh, in love with a coworker with a British accent, or hooking up with your yoga instructor. There's something there for everybody and new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They have sleep stories. They have wellness sessions and they have sexy stories that you can read, you know, like with your eyes. (laughs) Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies, relax and unwind or heat things up with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30 day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash dates and mates. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsiestories.com slash dates and mates. Dipsystories.com slash dates and mates. Jordan Green is a family therapist and the founder and CEO of Remble, a relationship improvement and mental health app. Before that, Jordan founded and managed a membership community, The Love Group, which offered monthly courses and collaborated with therapists from all around the world. We're going to take a lot of those tips that you learned in the first segment, and we're going to put them into action and show you how to get that kind of guidance in your hot little hands. So please give big smooches to my guest, Jordan Green.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here and to talk
0: with you today. I am so happy to talk with you about Rumble, your new app, because it's a relationship improvement and mental health app. Can you tell us a little bit more about what Rumble offers? So, what made me want to start it? I did
1: one-on-one therapy with people for a few years. I did individuals couple individual therapy, couples therapy, family therapy, and I realized I wanted to have a greater impact. And That led me to start my Love Therapist Instagram account. And I started receiving tons of DMs from women who were struggling in their relationships and were seeking advice, were seeking help. And that got me to question, why aren't they seeking help from some of the existing solutions that are on the market today, like one-to-one therapy, like online therapy? But I found that so many people would say, I can't afford it. I can't afford to pay hundreds of dollars a month to see an individual therapist. And it got me to start asking the question, what can I do to help serve these women better and having a large network of other therapists that are creating content on social media, I thought, why don't I bring all of these therapists together under one app to create these in-depth courses to create content that people can access for an affordable monthly subscription. And because we're an app, everything is available on demand. It's available 24 seven right when you need it. So I wanted to make a lot of our content free because I believe everyone should have access to mental health support. And But some of our more in-depth content like courses, they can be accessed through an affordable subscription that's less than a typical therapy session.
0: Let's just start with kind of an overview of, um, as you see it, the couple's developmental stages. I work a lot in the first stage of getting people um, in into dates with compatible folks, but what, what can they expect to unfold as they move through the different stages of a relationship?
1: So, um, someone named Dr. Susan Campbell, she identified five stages of a relationship and she came to these five stages after doing a study with hundreds of different couples. And Um, And so the five stages, stage one is romance, the one that you were talking about. And then stage two is a power struggle. Stage three is stability. And then couples, some couples move on towards commitment and then finally co-creation. But I always like to mention before talking about the couple's developmental stages that they're not necessarily linear, although we typically progress forward from stage one to five. Um, At times, couples can revert back to prior stages, especially the power struggle stage. And especially if you don't have the skill to navigate that stage, you'll return to it again and again and again in the relationship. And I also like to mention just up front that this model doesn't apply to everyone, that um, especially depending on your culture, the type of relationship you have, if you um, are in more of a non-monogamous or polyamorous or open relationship, you may not ever enter a commitment or co-creation stage, or that stage might look a lot different than um, it may look for more of a monogamous couple. So as we talk about these stages, I encourage anyone who's listening to just see if you can identify what stage you're in, but also if you, you may need to kind of adapt or apply these concepts in a different way, depending on uh, what your relationship looks like.
0: I want to talk about, more about this power struggle because i <laughs> i get a lot of questions about well, how do you know and how do you know if this person is the one? And like a lot, of y'all are really trying to go from romance like right to commitment. <laughs> so I'm always talking about slow love on this show, slow love, slow dating, like slow it down. Mm-hmm. But it did stand out to me the power struggle. I don't know if I recognized that stage when I was dating my husband. So give me a little more info on um, what that looks like and why it's important to the development of the relationship.
1: We start with the romance stage, right? And typically in that stage that you, people call it the honeymoon stage, you feel high. It's like similar to you, you'll you have cravings to be with that person. You tend to kind of overlook anything that might bother you or annoy you. That's when people overlook the red flags just because they're so filled with a passion and you're getting to know each other and you're learning things that you have in common. So you don't notice the differences as much. And maybe you're putting their needs above your own just because you're so excited to be getting to know this person. But typically somewhere between two months and two years is when many couples will enter what we call the power struggle stage. And that's where some of that magic and passion and excitement tends to fade a little bit. And So in this stage, some characteristics of this stage, you'll start to notice your differences a little bit more. You might start to notice those little things about your partner that are starting to annoy you. Um, Some of those things that you just overlooked before. Um, You may have a little bit more conflict, more arguments. You'll see couples will stop courting each other as much. You start to feel the desire more to... To balance that that intimacy that you have with self discovery, so you may kind of pull away from them a little bit more. Um, This is where a lot of breakups happen, or you can move through it and end up having a healthier, stronger, more supportive relationship if you can approach this stage in a way that I I see as an opportunity to learn more about yourself, to learn more about your partner, to find new ways to communicate in healthy ways, and to learn how to support each other and how to be. Um, have a certain level of independence and autonomy within the relationship without totally losing that that love connection that you have.
0: That makes sense. That makes sense. And you brought up the word autonomy. It's funny because I just had a conversation yesterday with a friend who just went through a breakup after seven years. And he was like, I'm reading this book on codependence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Can you explain the signs? We haven't really talked about codependence much on dates and mates, like the difference between codependence, interdependence, independence, and -hmm. and kind of the the finding the right balance for you.
1: So in all relationships, there's, there's me, and then there's you, and then there, there's the relationship, there's us. And so I see it as there being kind of three parts to any relationship. Some parts may have, or some relationships may have more parts than that. Um, But in a healthy relationship, ideally, you have a a good balance between all of those parts. And if you are too dependent on one end of the spectrum, you become more enmeshed, there's not as much individuality, you kind of lose yourself in the relationship, you may over sacrifice your needs to take care of the other person. Sometimes the boundaries get a little bit blurred, you're tend to be really reliant on them for meeting some of your emotional needs and other needs. And um, and so that's where we'll see more of the codependency and um, kind of defining uh, codependency is. I see it as a relationship where you you start to define your worth based on someone else. And so, um, and we can go a little bit more into codependency what it is later if if you want. But on the other end of the spectrum, then we have um, independence. And independence can be a healthy thing, and we all need a certain level of independence. But when um, or too independent, you can start to lack connection and intimacy and the relationship can become emotionally distant. And so that interdependence that you mentioned is what I see as that healthy b- balance between me and you. And that's that healthy we. And um, and so with interdependence, you have a good individual identity, but you also have a good couple identity. So you can express love without sacrificing yourself Um, there's good communication, there's good compromise, you still have healthy boundaries within the relationship. But those healthy boundaries create a sense of emotional safety that really allow you to, to be vulnerable and to connect in an even deeper way than you would in either end of the spectrum. And those can also relate to attachment styles. If you have a more avoidant attachment style, you're probably more independent in relationships. Whereas if you have a more anxious attachment style, you may be more dependent. So Interdependence requires two people who are really able to function independently, because it's totally normal to depend on each other to be attached to one another. But with interdependence, you recognize that you're responsible for your own feelings and your own actions, and you you can maintain that sense of identity and accept your difference. Um, But it just allows for more closeness and intimacy.
0: Yeah, that, that sense of identity, I think, is really a driving factor and why when you are in some of those those enmeshed relationships, what, the breakup feels so intense because it almost feels like a part of you has been ripped away. I'm mm-hmm. going to posit a theory here. I'm not an LCSW like you. um, But I do have a theory with online dating, which obviously I'm a huge fan of, and I feel like it has enabled people to actually make better connections because they are not meeting by chance. They are meeting more mindfully and understanding a little bit more about the person before they move into dating. And what I have seen I've been doing this over 15 years. I've I've seen that people now are kind of expecting their partner to they're they're putting up a lot of boxes for their <laughs> partner to check and almost seeking out someone, I don't know if it's like seeking out somebody who's a carbon copy of them, but requiring a lot to clear the bar of like, is this person compatible with me? And I kind of feel like we're not always asking the right questions about compatibility and what is actually important. Like, it's not important really that you both play tennis. Like, that's that's nice. But you like if you played tennis before and your partner doesn't play tennis, you can have a relationship that is based on other things. And as long as you have a healthy amount of independence, you can go play tennis while your partner does, you know, whatever they do, rowing or something, <laughs> something I know nothing about. And I'm curious if you have seen any shift in this. You, you've you been doing this for a long time, you know, in, in the one on one therapy. If you've seen any of a shift in people wanting partners to provide more in the relationship or come to the table with more things to be qualified as a potential match.
1: There's a I think there's a balance to be found because we we sometimes have this fairy tale idea that our partner should meet our every need and that they, you know, and, and I think that's what you're somewhat related to what you're talking about with just having these really high expectations and this, it's, it's so good to know what you're looking for, because you're more likely to find it if you know what you lo- you're looking for, if you know what you want in a partner. But sometimes it's the little things that we can get distracted by, like, do they play tennis or not, like you said, rather than who is this person? What is their character? And what values are important to them? And what are some of the characteristics and qualities that I see in them that I'm actually looking for in a partner, because that can look a lot of different ways. And I usually encourage People when they're dating to, you know, make a list of things that are important to you in a relationship, what you want in a partner, what you want the relationship to look like, and then let go of, of attachment to exactly what that has to look like, because then you open yourself up to the possibilities of um, what that could look like. And someone may come to you who may not, you may not look at them initially and think this would be someone who you're super compatible with, but you may find, you may be surprised and it may be someone who you wouldn't have been open to if you um, we're too attached to the idea of a partner, looking a certain way or doing certain things, or sometimes it's those personality differences that can help you to find more balance in life to have a partner that's different from you in some ways. And we we love the idea of dating someone just like us, wouldn't that be easy if our partner were just like us, but that I feel like there's a lot of um, value that someone can bring when they're when they're different from you in certain ways. And Um, They can help you to find balance. They can help you to explore and discover new parts of yourself.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I, I encourage people to have a notion of what it would look like to be in the ideal relationship and figure out what's important, as you said, but then keep the space for things to shift as you get to know someone. But I also think it's important to to drill down on the important values, as you said,
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus the superficial qualities that sometimes give you that immediate spark of like, oh, this is interesting. I have a lot to talk about with this person because we have so much in common and letting that spark guide you and then getting caught up in the momentum of the relationship. I tell people to look for values and goals. Like, like if you want to have kids and they don't want to have kids and like, here you are, like, 18 months later, like I've invested all this in the relationship and we have a core difference in our goals, our values and how we want to live our life. Like you've kind of it's it's maybe it's been a fulfilling relationship, but you've kind of invested a lot of your time into, you know, someone that ultimately may not be your future partner because that's hard to over overcome like a difference like that.
1: And then you're emotionally attached and so invested, and it makes it so much harder to leave after spending all that time together. And so that's why it can be really helpful to, you know, know what you're looking for, be able to communicate that, ex- practice expressing your opinions, your desires, and what you want. And then being very mindful when you're, when you start to date, checking in with yourself on at least a monthly basis. Just, just reviewing, reviewing that list of the values and, and goals that are important to you in a relationship and a partner, your values and goals, and make sure you're in alignment because we can get so lost, especially in that romance stage that we were talking about. We can get so caught up in how amazing this person is and how we feel around them that we start to overlook some of the, the little things that um, eventually will become big things and could be deal breakers for the relationship or could make you leave you a little bit less happy or satisfied in the relationship.
0: Yeah. And we we even get caught up in the feeling of being liked, like how good it feels to just have someone that wants to be with you, that sometimes Mm -hmm. we set aside our own needs and wants because we're like, but they're so in love with me, but they put me on a pedestal or they express how much they love me or appreciate me. But then we can kind of forget that oh yeah I had wants and needs as well so you, you touched mm-hmm. on communicating communication and communicating those wants and needs I'm sure the Remble app has lots on this but <laughs> can you give us we just do. like a couple of tips on how to do that how to express your wants and needs how to practice communicating your boundaries because I think that finding the actual words in the language, it's really important and that people really struggle with how to say what they what they really want, need, believe.
1: Yeah. And it, it can be really hard, especially if it wasn't modeled for us or we haven't we don't have that practice in expressing and communicating our wants and needs. And so that leads us to use more criticism or use statements to get more defensive and shut down when we communicate and um, I see that a lot when we when we want something or need something and we don't know how to communicate it well, it, it ends up coming out as criticism, and that's when you end up having a partner feeling like you're constantly nagging them, or um, it can the communication can really spiral <laughs> in a not good direction at that point. So um, there's a formula that I typically encourage people to use for healthy communication and communicating your needs, and it's um, I feel blank about blank, I need blank. So I feel um, upset about whatever it is I need, whatever it is you need, you can communicate. And so I encourage people to use an affirmative need saying what they do want, not what they don't want. And so this just helps the other person to understand how you feel, and it gives them a, a recipe essentially for how they can best support you. And it sets you up for for success in the way that you communicate. So an example would be, um, instead of a, a critical statement would be, you never help out around the house. An I statement would look like, I feel overwhelmed about the dishes. I need help cleaning up after dinner. So that's the, that's the, the formula that I typically give couples. And if you can just practice that over and over, reframing those, those criticisms and communicating your needs in that way, it can make, I mean, it's one small thing, but it can make a huge difference.
0: I love that. And it's so simple. And like, I I love that people now have a tool where they can do this on their own time, you know, when they're in that space. Cause as you said, you know, sometimes with one-on-one therapy, you're not in the space having the emotional moment when you're talking to your therapist and you're up here, but sometimes doing the work when you're like, I, I, oh, I pointed to my head, folks. <laughs> sometimes doing the emotional work, you know, when you're in the moment and from your heart. And I love that you have like breath work and, and all of these other tools to help move people through the moments because that's when the magic happens. That's when the breakthroughs happen and, and the real connection occurs. Mm -hmm. That's great.
1: Yeah. And the more tools that we can have in those moments when we are upset, when we're angry or frustrated or feeling resentful, um, if we can have a few of those go-to tools that we can turn to, to help us slow down, take a deep breath, relax, relax our nervous system a little bit and um, slow down the mind and sometimes even expand our perspective a little bit so that we can see more of the bigger picture of what really matters in this moment? Is it really, really that important that the dishes didn't get done? Or is there something more going on here? Is it what, what's, what's really at the heart of, of what you're feeling? And I, and I feel like sometimes we can get so caught up in all of the surface level things that we don't realize that there's there's something deeper that's going on. There's a deeper need that's going unmet. There's, um, if you could communicate what you're really feeling and what you really need right now in one sentence, how could you do that? what would that one sentence be? And um, sometimes it helps to just, that helps to kind of get to the root or the core of what's really going
0: on. Thank you so much for joining me, Jordan. Be sure to follow Jordan on Instagram at the.love.therapist and check out the Remble app. The links will be in the show notes. In a moment, I'll be back to answer the following listener question. Can you share some tips on how to get started on Bumble? I'm ready to return to dating, and it seems like the right app for me. You know I love dating apps. Can't wait to tell you my thoughts on this one in a moment. I'm so thankful that you trust me with your love and relationship advice. And now it's time for my favorite segment. Dear Damona Simona, help me. Our question of the week comes in an email from a listener named Nikki. Nikki says, hi there. I'm 51 and would love to be in a meaningful relationship in the next year. Hashtag goals, lady. Hashtag relationship goals. I've been single for 11 years. My son is 13 now and I'm ready. Do you have any specific tips for Bumble? That seems like a healthy place for professionals to meet other professionals. Thanks for the work you do thanks for your question I am I really like hitting this Thanksgiving theme a little too hard? I'm just so full of gratitude and I so thank you for your question and girl, you know I love me some dating apps so let me okay get your pens and papers ready because we're gonna we're gonna go back to the dating app well here. First of all, love the clarity Nikki like did you hear how she said I am ready. That is first of all what it takes. This is why I start all my programs with the mindset piece. First, it's making a decision about making a decision. I'm deciding after being single for 11 years that now is my moment and I am ready for a relationship. You wouldn't believe the number of people that I've turned around and love just from that one decision. Like, I'm going to join your dating program. I'm going to start listening to the Dates and Mates podcast. I'm going to revise my dating profile. And that action sometimes is enough to set the dominoes in motion to change the trajectory of your dating life as opposed to signing on the app, signing off the app, uh, kind of being interested, like going out with somebody, but you're like not really interested in them, but you're gonna go anyway. That kind of clarity and focus is paramount. And that is step one. So check on that, Nikki, we got you. So the next question that Nikki is asked is, do I have any specific tips for Bumble? Which yes, of course I do. But first I want to fast forward to the second part. That seems like a healthy place for professionals and, to me, other professionals. I'm just going to caution you all, all of you, for one moment about assigning a particular identity to a particular app. So people will say all the time, oh, well, I don't want to be on Tinder because isn't that the hookup app? Or I want to be on Raya because that's the celebrity app and that's like very exclusive. And you know what we're doing? We are assigning an identity to a piece of technology. And, you know, some of it's marketing. I'll just be honest. So do I have clients that are in serious relationships who met on Tinder? Absolutely. Do I have people who are on Raya who got approved to be in this elite group of daters who have never had a date? Absolutely. And do I have people on Bumble who are professionals, who have met other professionals there? Absolutely. Do I have people who are professionals who have met total bums there? Absolutely. As there are on every app, okay? So let's just be careful about assigning an app an emotional or categorical identity. All right, now we get tips on how to choose the right app for you. There's two questions you have to ask yourself. Do I like the matches, the people on the app? It sounds like maybe Nikki's been seeing other professionals there. So she likes the matches on the app, but does she like the functionality? That's the second question. Do you actually do you dread going on the app or are you like, oh yeah, this is cool and I get this. Like I was just talking to my dating accelerator participants last week about some of the tools that are on apps and like there are desktop versions of pretty much all the apps, even Bumble actually but a lot of features are available on, let's call it Match and OkCupid and Plenty of Fish. There are features that are available on the desktop because they were built native desktop that are not available on the app. Why? Because we ask for ease of use. We're like, oh, I don't wanna do all that work and searching. I just, show me the people and I'll swipe. But here's the bottom line. Dating app algorithms... Even the best of dating app algorithms are not really that great at predicting who you're going to be interested in. And you have to pull certain levers to make the apps work for you. Because naturally, if you just go on Bumble and you're like, okay, you're 51. If you go on, like most people do, and you search, I'm looking for a guy 46 to 56, because most people will search like five years Younger, five years older. Sometimes I can stretch people to like 10 years older, but never 10 years younger. Unless I can't stretch women to do that, but a lot of guys will do it. I don't know. But an age is just an age. So let's keep that in mind. All right, so let's play out the scenario, Nikki. You go on Bumble and you search how most people search. Let's call it age men age 46 to 56 in the... I'll be generous, 10-mile radius of my house. And then you you select a couple other things that are important to you in a match, and you reveal the other details that are important to you, very authentically and truthfully, of course. And then the app kind of shows you what I call fuzzy matching of people that fit within that criteria. And you're on the app, and you're getting a lot of messages and a lot of matches at first, And then a week in you get fewer. And then a week in after that you get fewer. And then by three weeks in, you're like, where are, are all the guys? And here are all these matches of people that like me that I don't even really like. Or I'm everyone I'm clicking on. Because, you know, on Bumble, it's the mutual match, right? So you can't communicate until you've both matched. So there you are saying, I'm liking these people, but these people I like are not liking me back. So the simple answer to that is Use the beeline. People are always asking me, is it worth it to pay for a premium upgrade on an app? Depends on the app, depends on the premium. But if you ain't got a lot of time, you're going to want to get that Bumble line, and you're going to want to shortcut that process because then you're going directly to the people who have already liked you. But spoiler alert, they front load the people who've already liked you in your searches anyway a lot of the time. So some of this stuff you can do for free, but like, you're busy. You're, you're a professional. You have a 13-year-old son. You ain't got time to mess around. So I think for you, the premium is worth it. The other thing I would say that I love about Bumble is that women initiate, which who's been listening to the show for 10 years, 10 seasons? How long has Damona Hoffman been saying, women, you need to be initiating. And then I came through with the OkCupid data saying that women, when women initiate, the, the conversations last twice as long as they do when men initiate. And now Bumble has really just codified this thing that I always knew. So we got to level the playing field. You've got to be initiating. I also love that there's a time clock on it because it's the momentum that gets us into the dates. You can talk yourself out of any any situation, even a great one. I don't want you to though. I want you to keep that momentum going and you have to do that when you have to initiate the message within a certain period of time and they have to initiate their response within a certain period of time. And the trick for you and the trick with Bumble is to keep the gas on after those first two messages when there's no time clock. In place, okay. My next tip, especially for Bumble, is: Are you ready for this? Swipe more liberally. I said this in the dating accelerator program a few weeks ago, and I literally almost incited a riot. <laughs> people are like, "But, but, 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 isn't that dangerous? Isn't it? But what if? And then, and 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 then I have to be in conversation with people. I don't want. Take a breath. Everyone who's having big feelings about me saying that right now. Um, And I want to just let you know that not every person, a swipe is not a marriage proposal or a like. It's not a marriage proposal. It's an invitation to a conversation. And we make our decisions so quickly when we're swiping. Like two seconds, we're making decisions. That's how quickly it's happening now. And you're... Responding to biological conditioning, family conditioning, prior experiences. And if it's that quick of a gut reaction, you may not be operating based on all of the work that you've set up in your mindset piece of this and figuring out what you really need for your relationship goals. You have to go past the first picture. First of all, you have to read their profile and you really, especially on Bumble, because there's very little information to go on. There's no matching questions. There's no, you know, there. there's just basic, basic biographical details. You must get into the conversation to really see what somebody is about. There's no other way to do it on Bumble. You cannot. Yes, you can tell if you're like, okay, I am moderately attracted to this person, or I think they have what I'm looking for in terms of values or goals, but you can't tell who somebody is based on based on six photos. You can't. So does that mean swipe right on everyone? No, because you actually will get deprioritized in the algorithm if you're doing that. But I'm just saying swipe more liberally. If you only match with, I think the average is somewhere around 10 to 20% of people. What would happen if you matched with 30% or 40%? And that doubles your chances of getting into a meaningful connection or conversation. Now, if you're in the boat of I have so many messages and so many matches, I can't even I can't even sort through. This advice is not for you. This is for someone who is highly selective, which it sounds like you're looking for other professionals, I'm just going to guess, Nikki, that you're highly selective. If you are highly selective and you are feeling like you need to ramp up your, first of all, dating skills, you've been single for 11 years, so it's a little bit of practice, and you also need to ramp up your dating options, try it out. Try swiping more liberally, Report back, let me know what happens, and make sure that you keep your foot on the gas and drive towards that first conversation or first date. One week, you have one week. I know, holiday week, you're like, but what? I meant what I said. You have one week from the time you match to initiate, to have a plan on your calendar to either have a phone call, a Zoom, video chat, FaceTime, or an IRL date with your date, or it's a time waster. Live by those rules, let me know how it goes, and I wish you lots of luck, and I'm so excited that you're beginning this journey of dating with clarity, with enthusiasm, and with a dating app which will greatly, exponentially increase your chances of making a match. Friends, we have come to the end of episode 438 of Dates and Mates. As always, the DMs are open for your questions. You can reach out to me at Damona Hoffman on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And look, y'all, even on TikTok now. (laughs) Follow me on TikTok. And call me if you got a question. You can call me or text me at 424-246-6255. I would love to know which guests and topics you've loved. Tell me when you leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, or Spotify, or Stitcher, or Good Pods, or wherever you're listening right now. We will be back again next Tuesday with best-selling author and relationship expert, Jen Hervitz. She's going to be talking about dating after a big breakup. Until next week, I wish you happy Thanksgiving and also happy dating.